Today's Heat Check podcast is brought to you by Yahoo Fantasy. Do you know what time it is? It's bracket time. It's NCAA tournament time. It's everybody's favorite time. And there's no wrong way to pick teams with Yahoo Sports Tourney. Pick them all through the Yahoo Fantasy app. Join a public group or create a group by yourself. Or even, I, I guess this is true, you can join Draymond Green's group for a shot at $25,000. This is amazing. Later on in the program, we're going to talk to Kevin O'Connor, who has some very interesting thoughts about Draymond Green. You don't want to miss that. And don't miss out on March Madness. Get your bracket in before the games tip off on March 15th or build your own bracket now at yahoo.com slash tourney2018. Welcome to the Heat Check Podcast. I'm your host, John Gonzalez, joined per usual by our producer, Isaac Lee. What's going on, Isaac? What's good, Gonzo? I am uh, back. I was not here last week. I was traveling back from Boston in the Sloan Analytics Conference. Uh, you were still here, and you did great work, per usual. I was excited about that. Uh, I was a little surprised, though, because when I said I couldn't do the show... I anticipated that they would just get somebody on my level to fill mm. in, like an intern or maybe a hobo <laughs> or perhaps a, one of our many hobo interns. You there with the knapsack slung over your shoulder. You think you're on too lowly of yourself. You're on the Heat Check podcast. Instead, Isaac, yes. boss man Bill Simmons filled in. The boss himself. He came in. He crushed it. He always crushes it. That's how you know we're doing okay on the Heat Check podcast when you get Bill Simmons to fill in. The podfather. Amazing. So thanks to Bill Simmons for that. A lot of good stuff happening on The Ringer today that you want to check out as well. We have all of our Oscars coverage, and we also have uh, One Shining Podcast. It's it's college basketball time. The tournament is rapidly approaching. Mark Titus and T uh, Tate Frazier have absolutely killed it. Do you produce that one too? No, that's Kyle. Okay, Kyle. Kyle does a great job. That's like the only podcast you don't produce here. <laughs> uh, but you, you guys should absolutely check that out. They'll get you uh, ready for all of your NCAA tournament pools and brackets. And we've got some other stuff on the ringer today. I wrote a long piece about Sam Hankey. I've known Sam for a long time, and I have been after him to do something on the record for years, actually. And he finally relented. So Chris Ryan, who edited that piece, a man of many hats here at the ringer, he's going to come on. We're going to talk about Sam Hankey later on in the program. Kevin O'Connor, always doing good stuff. He wrote a story, uh, Rethinking NBA Draft Databates. So we're going to bring him on with Paolo Ugetti, who's a first-timer, Isaac. Never been on the heat check. Oh, yeah. PU. PU and KOC on the program. We'll talk about KOC's piece. We'll talk about Lonzo and the Lakers. And then the nutty Western Conference playoff picture. Because uh, the back end of the playoffs, Isaac, really, mm -hmm. it's uh, very interesting to see who's going to be in there. So we'll oh, the get Clippers it. will be in there. The Clippers will be in there. I'm going to go not Clippers, but we'll get into it. <laughs> sure. uh, but first, it is the Heat Check podcast, and I am back. So I want a walking Heat Check to lead us off. Let's go with Joe House. Dial him up. All right, joining me on the other line, one of our favorites here at the Heat Check Podcast, a repeat offender now. We can say he's a friend of the show from House of Carbs. I was going to do the whole thing where I do House of Carbs and, and a long shack house, but I don't have the lung capacity for it. You're like a rapper. You have great lung capacity. That's very nice of you to say. I appreciate it. And it's fine. We, we accept all imitations. We accept all pretenders. But, you know... Just having me on is enough. You don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. I want to do it. I just, it's a poor imitation and, and you do it best. So we'll have you do it later on. But I had to have you on for a number of reasons. 
I feel like this is the perfect cross section of both NBA and food. Can we get into Soupgate? Yeah, I mean, I have to get your opinion on this. I'm very glad that you guys invited me before I had to invite myself because anytime there's food involved and and player suspensions and all the rest of it, and I have to say, the very first thing that I appreciate, somebody in the Cavs organization, I'm going to go kiss on the lips because this person, this him or her, had the proper sense of humor, the right sort of sense of of how this might play out in the media to be very specific about the offense that J.R. Smith committed. He didn't, <laughs> he or she did not have to be so specific with with Wendy or uh, with McManaman, right? They mm-hmm. they didn't have to say could have been discipline for for team issues, discipline for you know breaking team rules. No, 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 no. I, J.R. Smith is going to sit out a game because he threw soup at an assistant coach. I mean, that's pretty good. There's a lot to get into with this. It's one of my favorite weird NBA stories of the season. It's right up there with uh, the Rockets going through the secret hallway to to talk to the Clippers when they were out here when Chris Paul came back. But like you said, I mean, if not for the level of detail that ESPN delivered us on the fact that it was soup that was thrown, uh, who knows? I mean, we don't get to talk about this. This is why I wanted to bring you on because... I like soup. So the idea that he would throw it, I mean, was it a bad soup? What kind of soup was it? What's the best soup to throw, Joe House? I, I think you've probably thought about this quite a bit. Yeah, I have I have some opinions. So in the first place, I hope for, for J.R. Smith's sake and for the assistant coach's sake that it wasn't an entire bowl because that's that's wasteful. It's a lot. And I'd, I'd like to think this this day and age, we're all a little bit more mindful about the space that we occupy, you know, about our carbon footprint and and, and honestly, our, our food footprint, right? We're in a moment here where we're all sensitive to preservation of resources. So I, I'm hoping it wasn't a whole bowl. Now, of course, I have opinions on both the best case scenario in terms of the soup to be covered in and the worst case scenario. And I will, I want to sort of tread lightly here. I don't want to come in throwing bombs. No, I what why would we bring you on if you weren't going to throw bombs? You're the bomb thrower. You came in when you dialed in. You I don't even know if you were on a microphone or just screaming from DC. You blew out two of my eardrums. I only have two. I only bring it one way, Wangan, and that's strong. That's why the Heat Check podcast listeners love you. I personally think it had to be a liquid-based and not a cream-based soup. Like it had to be a broth-based soup because if it was a bisque, how's it going to travel? It's going to stick to the bowl. No, no. I, I think the worst case scenario, and I'm hoping it was not this, to me, and this is my, my gentle criticism of the podfather himself, Bill Simmons. Bill Simmons put out a, uh, a poll of what would be the worst soup that, that he could throw. He left out the one that's by far the worst to me, which is broccoli cheddar, because it is both cream-based mm-hmm. and it treads a very fine line between being stinky to the point of being inedible. Now, broccoli cheddar soup is absolutely delicious because if you get the cheese quantity right at the salt that gets delivered on top of the broccoli and the broccoli delivers a kind of funk that makes it a very satisfying soup. It's a soup that eats like a meal. I think somebody's used that that <laughs> phraseology before. You should, you should know. You should trademark it. I think it's yours. <laughs> I don't want that funk on my shirt. No I funk. Mean, the, this is the thing. Clam chowder won that poll that, that Brother Simmons put up there. But here's the thing with clam chowder, also a cream-based soup. Mm-hmm. Clam chowder, if done properly, has as its predominant flavor profile the combination of butter and bacon. 
because bacon is the the hidden secret ingredient in clam chowder that really elevates clam chowder in terms of its overall. It's the combination of cream, butter, potatoes, and bacon that make clam chowder so delicious. The clams provide a kind of palate relief. They introduce the sea to you, the coast. You get sort of a chewiness out of them, but you they do. aren't the totality of the flavor profile the way the broccoli dominates the broccoli cheddar. Yeah, see, I went with the clam chowder as the worst soup to have thrown on you as well because I, I just, and I love clam chowder. I was just in Boston and I had quite a bit of it while I was at the Sloan Analytics Conference. But the brininess, I think sometimes if you don't do it right and you get that on you in the same way that you were saying you don't want uh, sort of the broccoli cheddar stink, but as a throwing mechanism, I think choosing a bisque would be the wrong way to go. It's not going to travel as well. I think you need something more liquid, broth-based, maybe like a chicken noodle. We need a version of the crime scene, right? We, we need do. to know how close they were sitting. Yep. Were they at a table? Was, was one of them standing? Was it a dump? Like, was it a, was it a dump over the head? Or was it a throw across the table? Like, we need we need to sketch out what the crime scene looks like to really properly, um, you know, put this to the Zapruder test. Yeah, we need to outline people uh, like a chalk outline the whole bit. I, I love working at the ringer. The one failing I think that I've had or that we've had collectively, we'll do a we because we're all in it together, is not dispatching you immediately, Joe House, to the scene to, to report on this. Who better than Joe House to talk about the intersection of basketball and thrown foodstuffs? I don't think Cleveland would let me in there. I've, I've disrespected Cleveland too much over it's the probably years. I'm not true. sure I could get access. Speaking of Cleveland, because we can't just only do food, I would like to, but I think the bosses would probably prefer that we also talk about basketball. But speaking of Cleveland, they've been a very interesting team in addition to the soup throwing, which has only heightened our interest in them, Joe House. They've been a very interesting team since the trade. They're six and four over their last 10, but they're only two and four since the All-Star break. Are they better? What do we think of them? It's not the right time to say what we think of them, is my uh, humble view on this matter. And that's because they remain so fluid in terms of, of finding out who they are. And with the absence of Kevin Love, we're not going to know who they are until he's back. So it might be that they have a chemistry problem going into the playoffs, and it might be that it doesn't matter because they still have the greatest player on the planet. Yeah. So I, I, the jury is out. It is apparent that they like playing with each other, which is an immediate improvement over the previous situation. It is apparent that they desire to play defense. They still stink at defense. I believe they remain in the bottom five in defending the pick and roll in the league. But I chalk that up now to chemistry as opposed to desire and will, which seemed to be the principal culprit in the previous iteration of the Cavs. So, I mean, if you're a Cavs fan and you're wanting to look for green shoots, right? Green shoots coming up out of the ground. Spring is springing. Uh, <laughs> they have, they, they, the cold winter is behind them. This is quite the picture you're painting. You should well, use words see, for a living. It's great. Look, I, I mean, our boy Paolo uh, threw out some Bob Ross in his article about the Rockets. I mean, you know, it's very inspirational. But I would say that that for the Cavs, it's a it's a TBD. If they don't figure out, and, and Tristan Thompson's ankle injury isn't going to help that mm -hmm. any because it looks like he's out for a, a sustained stretch now. 
So it might just be the case that they come in because there's only 20 games left or so. We enter the playoffs, and they, they hope to at least end up with, the at worst, a four seed, so they have home court advantage to figure out who the hell they are in the first round of the playoffs. So you mentioned a lot of things that are, are really interesting here. The defense, you're right. I, I think that initially when they made that trade, I immediately went, man, this is going to be a much better team. They're younger, they're quicker, they're more athletic. They're going to be better on the defensive end, and they haven't been. It is a small sample size, but I wonder then if it's something like schematically, if it traces back to Ty Lue, what's going on with that defense. But also, the part that you just mentioned about where they end up seeding-wise. Normally, I am with you in the, would it even matter? It doesn't matter. Remember last year when LeBron basically threw up his hands and went, yeah, I'm going to take the last week of the season off, and the Celtics can have the first seed in the Eastern Conference because it doesn't matter to us. Except for it's a little bit different this time. Right now, they are in third place, but they are only one game out of falling out of home court advantage in the Eastern Conference, which right. would put them in fifth spot. So then all of a sudden, it starts to get a little bit of, a little squirrely, and I wonder if that does matter because there's a big difference between not having home court advantage at all and having some, you know, or being the one and two seed. And, and I wonder if psychologically that that would mess with them. I just think for a team that is in the kind of um, small D disarray, because you don't use a big D disarray as long as LeBron is playing, I'm a person that thinks with the current version of the playoffs that they could figure out this stuff in the playoffs over the course of the next, let's say, because the playoffs, the first round of the playoffs represents at least four games for them and maybe five or six or seven games. So what you're really talking about in terms of of the time frame in which the Cavs can get themselves figured out is like 25 to almost 30 games, not just the 20 left in the regular season. But they, they need to have every advantage on the table. So I think for them, it's important to not drop below four. Looking at the other contenders, uh, I, I think they're in pretty decent shape. Right now, they'd be lined up. Uh, it would be a Cavs-76ers matchup. Very intriguing, but there's been this narrative, Joe, and I, and I wanted to run this past you, that Kevin Love will help boost this team, which I find fascinating because bef- when Kevin Love was actually playing and having a good season... Everybody still shit on him. Isaiah Thomas was there for a hot second for 15 games, and even even he was shitting on Kevin Love. And now, all of a sudden, there's this, well, wait till Kevin Love comes back. They'll get a good boost narrative. And I just find that really intriguing. Do we buy that adding Kevin Love back into this team will somehow, like, supercharge them? Yes. You do? Absolutely. Unequivocally, without hesitation, reservation. I believe that the previous version of the Cavaliers mm-hmm. with those Celtic add-ons was was made up of malcontents and malfeasance. And I believe that they have sent away all of the bad spirits, all of the bad eggs, all of the bad mojo by way of the trade. It was a this most recent exploration of theirs at the trade deadline was an addition by subtraction. They had to get rid of bad attitudes. And it, it seems like they accomplished that. So I think Kevin Love, now the, the thing that I find with the Cavaliers as much as anything in terms of their defensive insufficiencies. You you would never say Kevin Love coming back is going to right. immediately shore up the defense. Right. But what, what he does represent is familiarity, right? It's a trust thing. So LeBron can have two or three guys on the court with him that he's been through these wars with who he at least can count on to be generally in the right place. What you know, We're not looking at Kevin Love to stop at the four on anybody else's team, but him and Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith and then one of the guys that that have come in, you know, by way of trade, those guys trust each other. They trust that they know where to be on the court at the same time. I just like the idea that that all of a sudden 
Kevin Love, who even before Isaiah Thomas came along, and I want to take Isaiah out of the equation, even before he came along, he was just sort of a whipping boy. And now all of a sudden it's like, we can't wait until he comes back. He's our dude. So it'll be interesting. It's an interesting time for the Cavs. They do have some chemistry issues that they need to work out. A team that I thought, Joe House, that you wanted to talk about would have some chemistry issues that has not at all and is absolutely murdering it this year is the Houston Rockets. They've won 15 in a row. Are you surprised by this? Is this what you expected? You mentioned Paolo's piece. Paolo is going to be on the show later on in the program. The Rockets have been a joy to watch this year. I couldn't agree more. They they have exceeded expectations. I was bullish on them at the outset of this NBA season. I was lucky enough to sit down with the pod father, Bill Simmons. We did our annual over-under. We were joined in that exercise by Kevin O'Baller, Kevin O'Connor, mm-hmm. Kevin O'Drop Bomber. I don't know all. I can't do it. Really all. good. You're doing this. Only You're Verno excellent. You're the new Verno. And we had Network. We had Jason, Jason Concepcion yes. uh, along for the ride as well. That's and a murderer's row. That's a hell of a group. I agree with that. Um, Kevin O'Baller was super bullish on Houston. Uh, I didn't share his unbridled enthusiasm, but I thought good things. I thought that that Chris Paul and James Harden would be able to p- coexist quite well. I didn't have any concerns or reservations. I I definitely asserted that they would ad- achieve the over on their uh, projected win total for the season. I don't remember where where it was, but it wasn't high enough because uh, I thought that they were a 60, at least a 60 win team with the you know roster that they had in place. The thing that I like the most about the Houston Rockets, they are playing their asses off. They treat yeah. every regular season game like it matters, like they're playing for their playoff lives. And you know what? We're kind of in this mode because of that outstanding effort of theirs that they're legitimately in the conversation for the number one seed in the Western Conference, which is awesome. It's so good. So that's where I want to get into that because so we have guys like Jeff Van Gundy and I I wasn't I thought that they would be good. I wasn't sure, though, about that fit with Harden and Paul, two guys who are very ball dominant. Obviously, they figured it out. They look amazing. But you have guys like Jeff Van Gundy, who at the beginning of the year were like, forget about it. It's already over. It's the Golden State Warriors and and the season is finished. And now all of a sudden he's coming off of that position, which Daryl Morey noted, by the way, on Twitter and and gave him a little heat for it and said, yeah, this is just like he's when he said that uh, the Miami Heat season was over and then the Heat yeah. ended up losing. So I think that yeah. that's it's good for basketball that it's not get in that over. Ass. Right. It's, get in that ass, get it, Daryl Morey. He got after it and I love it. And it's good for basketball that it isn't over and now all of a sudden we do have some intrigue. I will, however, say this. The Rockets have won 15 in a row and they're still only a half game up on the Warriors as we record this. That tells you everything you need to know about this battle in the Western Conference. Well, here's the thing. As much as I admire and appreciate what the Rockets are doing right now and this regular season effort, I mean, you got to give them all a great big hug because when you take money out of your wallet to go see a professional uh, NBA basketball game, in the first place, it's not cheap. You're taking a lot of money out of your wallet, but you need the guys to play hard. You want the guys to play hard. The, the, the Rockets play hard. They play only kind of at one pace, one style. They're committed. God bless James Harden. He just keeps bringing it and bringing it and bringing it. He has not taken his foot off the pedal one bit, but they're just a nice regular season story right now. I mean, we could fast forward and it would be nice to, to do it, although we, we never want to lose any of the intrigue, the twists and turns that the playoffs deliver. Right. But we do have this appetite. It was very fun watching the Rockets play the Celtics on Saturday yes. night. Prime time, ABC, big time game. The team's playing at sort of a playoff 
pitch playoff fervor. So you want that playoff kind of juice. We got to spill some playoff juice all over these these guys. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Can we hurry up and get know. there? I was with you right up until the spilling of the juice. You don't want to spill the playoff I, juice? I, I don't know. It's a, I'm all of a sudden very uncomfortable. It's a, it's a religious thing. It's it, a religious it's thing, fine. brother. You're anointing them. I take all them. of this. With, with, <laughs> this is, I'm talking about some sacred uh, abulations. I'm, sacred uh, abulations, Yuangan. I'm, I'm but here, here's the deal. Houston <laughs> might only be a good regular season story. Okay. Because depending on what happens in the first two rounds of the playoffs, mm-hmm. if you ask me right now and you show me some odds on it, there's a decent chance that I would bet at with my own hard. Well, so money. let me let me stop you right there. You are a Go man. Ahead. I know this about you. You are a man who has yeah. been known to make a wager or two. I like to allocate the capital. You know I do, Wang. You've allocated some funds in the in the past. Let's allocate some funds moving forward here. Handicap it for me, Joe House. What percentage chance would you give the Rockets of unseating the Warriors and going to the finals? Are both teams healthy? Everybody's healthy. Zero percent. No percentage chick. Come on. That's absurd. Zero. You give why, them why, no chick. You, you gave me the answer to the most important question, which is if, if both teams are healthy. I just don't see a scenario in the playoffs where the Rockets win four games. And in fact, the thing that I would personally bet on mm-hmm. um, to get terrific odds at this very moment because of, of, you know, kind of the idea that Houston has interjected itself into kind of contender status. I might have to call up the cousin style and work this out. I would like to bet on Golden State sweeping the Houston Rockets. That's bananas. I, I think you could get terrific odds. I believe it to be the case that come playoff time, the only way that Houston can beat Golden State is by outscoring them because I don't buy into... They're playing better. They're playing better. I know. They're, they're very They've been flattering. a good defensive team this year. I agree with that. All that is true. I, I just don't think that they have enough firepower. They win one way. They win by outscoring teams. Now, I know that Saturday night, they won through a combination of scoring and defense. They The, the Celtics committed four turnovers in the last four minutes. The Rockets committed no turnovers, and the Rockets scored. They stole the win, literally, by stealing the basketball. I chalked that up a little bit to to the composition of, of Boston. They only have one dynamic score. Boston's problem, not to go off on a super sub-tangent, is exactly what we saw Saturday night, which is they only have one dynamic score. Al Horford taking open shots and missing them is the Boston Celtics. They are going to live and die with Horford. They had Terry Rozier in for crucial fourth-quarter minutes because he had the hot hand. That is the fate of the Boston. That's that's the state of the Boston Celtics at this moment. The state and the fate. So Houston, that was a nice barometer of where Houston stands. The streak is incredible. They they won the month of February. They sure did, uh, which which is incredible. Uh, pat on the back for all of it. But come playoff time. I, I need to see it. The Warriors are obviously the heavy favorite. Uh, I stopped gambling a long time ago because I realized dis- despite the fact that I have spent Smart. much of my professional career covering sports, it turns out I know nothing about sports and therefore Me should either. not wager my money on it. However, I don't think it's a 0% chance. I would give them okay. maybe one in five that they okay. went. I mean, it's a seven game series, so the, the better teams almost always win them and the Warriors yes. are the better team. But before the season, I would have been with you. 0% chance. Now, all of a sudden, I give them a shot. Before we let you go, because uh, we know you have lots of things to do. You're a very busy man. You wear many hats. You're hungry. You have things I'm to hungry, eat. man. I, I, when we bring you on, we got to talk Wiz real quick. Yeah. They've lost three in a row. They're in the middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference uh, playoff picture. Your boy, Tomas Sadoransky. You know, we mentioned him before. And I kind of laughed at you about this. And then my buddy Luke, who's a, a journalist of some renown who works for HuffPo, was in town. He's also a Wiz fan. And oh, was, nice. was mentioning Sadoransky. And I'm like, okay, he's actually a pretty good player. I've been watching him. So I have to ask you, Joe House, 
considering that the way that they've been playing, even though they've lost a couple here, but they've been happy and they're sharing the ball and Sadoransky's playing surprisingly well. Is John Wall a Ewing theory candidate? No. Speaking of absurd, that's absurd. It's a funny thing to talk about. It's an interesting have, thing to talk about. I greatly enjoy um, the podfather, Bill Simmons, putting out the tweets with Ewing and all the rest of mm-hmm. it. I mean, it's giving giving lots of chuckles, but it's not a serious thing. The almost bullets are a faint approximation of themselves without John Wall. And you know that from these la- from this three-game losing streak. The Golden State game last Wednesday night was a schedule loss. There was no way that they were going to go to Milwaukee. Very impressive win on TV in Milwaukee and then came back the next night and, and hosted the Warriors. Now, the fact that they, they were able to stay within 10 points, they covered the spread, way to go almost bullets, was admirable, but they, that was not really ever, the game was never in doubt. The Friday night game, they hosted Toronto, and then last night they hosted Indiana. The missing ingredient in both of those games is one more dynamic scorer, one, one more, more guy. playmaker, one more guy that can get buckets when you need them, and also defensively. Uh, you know, John Wall has takes it on the chin sometimes in terms of his his effort, but he he understands how to play. He's um, always among the league leaders in steals. You can't just, you know, Sadoransky is wonderful. It's a great story. He's a role player. I hope that he, um, you know, continues to ascend and develop into something more the way that Kelly Oubre has. But um, you know we're 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 hurting and and always you know the the goal since Wall got injured and was going to be out for the sustained stretch. I looked at the schedule and said if we can just go five hundred. So we're all we're a little ahead of the game right now. You're since hanging Wall's in there. Been out. We just need to tread water. You know, if we get the sixth slot or the seventh slot in the playoffs, that's fine. I, I'm I I have no concerns. I I don't. I've said this a couple times now. Or I'll repeat it. I. Fear no one in the East. There is not a single team in the East that I fear. <laughs> this is every year. Every year, I, I you and I have only done a couple podcasts together yeah. now. But every year, you say something similar going into the playoffs, and then they're the Wizards. But I'm I'm hoping for you because I want nice things for you in Washington. I have It'd friends in Washington. Time. I want things to work out for you, and and also I like that we've planted. This is very Inception like because I know you're you're saying that Wall is no Ewing theory candidate. It's but it's a little like saying don't think about a pink elephant because now you're thinking about a. Pink elephant and now i'm gonna leave you with that you're gonna go you got a lot thinking you're not you're thinking about it it's in your head i've I've planted the seed in your brain what i think about is every fourth quarter why can't i have john wall i mean the toronto game was the best example they were we're going back and forth we were just missing one score it's too much port beale had you know has to have superhuman efforts for the almost bullets to compete but in any event i i know where you're going with it it's fine i can't wait to have john wall back in my life i'm crossing my fingers for you i'm crossing my fingers for john wall it's joe house He's on House of Carbs. He's on Shack House. Uh, listen to him. He's everywhere. Joe House, thanks so much, buddy. Love you, Wangan. Thanks, buddy. All right, there's Joe House. Walking heat check candidate, Isaac. Oh, yeah. We've got a lot of other things to get into. I wrote a piece about Sam Hinkie, so we're going to bring in Chris Ryan. But before we get to Chris Ryan, a word from our sponsors. March is here, which means one thing. It's bracket time. Yahoo Sports Tourney Pick'em is the best place to fill out your bracket all through the Yahoo Fantasy app. Joining a public group is easy, or you can create a group and play with your friends. Or, this is true, join Draymond Green's group, and not only do you get to play with Draymond, you also have a shot at $25,000. Don't know your college hoops? No sweat. Choose one of the auto-fill brackets, pick coaches with the highest winning percentage, go with the party schools, or totally rebel against all of that and pick the least popular 
picks. Do your own thing. It's fun either way. And there's no wrong way to fill out a bracket in the Yahoo Sports Tourney Pick'em. Don't miss out on March Madness. Get your bracket in before the games tip off on March 15th or build your own bracket now at yahoo.com slash tourney 2018. All right, joining me in studio, our leading man here at the ringer. He's still wearing his tux from last night. He killed the Oscars coverage. How many times did you watch Kobe Deer basketball, Chris Ryan? I have never seen Kobe Deer basketball, although I was mistaken for the guy who also made it with him. I don't know if you saw that. Like, this is what you're going to, this is your looper. This is what you're going to look amazing. like in 50 years. Let's did, hope 50 is, years. Is that, am I wrong? Is that the one that he showed at his retirement ceremony? I think so. Yeah. I'm not really up on Kobe's artistic pursuits. I I, I was enough of a uh, traumatic the experience is. to get through the end of Kobe's playing career that I've right. taken a little bit of a step back from his post-playing Really career. amazing. Yeah. A lot of things happening for Philly all, or, or Philly adjacent. I don't <laughs> sure. want to get into this. Kobe. Uh, if he starts claiming Philly now, it's going to be pretty funny. <laughs> this yeah. one this one is for you, Philadelphia. Uh, so Chris Ryan does a lot of things here at The Ringer. As we know, he, he hosts The Watch podcast. And he did all, all the Oscars coverage last night. He is also an editor here at The Ringer and helped me with the uh, Sam Hinkie piece. We we talked to Sam Hickey. Yeah. I've been after him. You talked to him. I just I just sat back seat. You did many, many things on that piece, uh, but we, we were after him for a couple of years. Yes. And finally he said yes and said, let's go to Boston. We'll go to the Sloan Analytics Conference and you can kick around with me. And and I can lose you using evasion tactics. He tried some yeah. evasion tactics. Uh, I had to put a double tail on him at one point and enlist Kevin O'Connor, but we tracked him down. And uh, he was shockingly open. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've said for a long time that Sam is somebody you can talk to on the side anytime you want, and he will have those kinds of conversations with you. But he did this one on the record, and I don't know about you, I was a little surprised, and it, I, that was one of the things we got into in the piece. Like, why now? Why did Sam want to talk to the ringer? And it was, I think, pretty revealing. Yeah, I thought that there was an interesting point in your story where you kind of address this idea of 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 looking backwards versus looking forwards and what and this is actually to pull the curtain back a little bit a conversation that you and I had mm-hmm. in the editing of the piece about what is the story with Sam Hinkey is it what he did a few years ago or is it what he might do in the years to come and i don't think he knows based on reading your story like i think he has some ideas but the fact is is that it might not be in basketball yeah. you know it might not be running a team and uh We've built this guy up into this mythological figure and we've turned the process into this almost, you know, almost a religious experience in a lot of ways for a lot of people. And now, you know, we're kind of getting to the idea of who is this guy? Who is this guy who watches The Bachelor, who goes on road trips, who likes to read books yeah. and is not as strange and 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 mythical as we maybe made him out to be? Well, so that is that's one of the things that I wanted to, to get into. And you definitely helped me focus it instead of us focusing and, uh, you know, relitigating the process and what Sam did and tanking and all that stuff. We made it much more about uh, because we did have some time with him. We made it much more about who is Sam Hickey and what does he plan on doing next? And sometimes because I have had so many conversations with Sam I forget that people do still have this caricature of him in their head where he is this really aloof nerd who can't hold the conversation with people and just would like to recede into the shadows in the corner. And that's the opposite of who Sam really is. I mean, he's very, like he's, you mentioned his family. He spends a lot of time with them and he has some really good friends uh, in NBA circles and outside of NBA circles that he spends time with. And all of them that I talked to sort of laughed at that narrative that he was this guy who, you know, who was, um, you know, closeted in in a corner somewhere. And that's something that we tried to get into in the piece. But I wonder how much of it, like that perception of Sam was, I guess, 
uh, informed by the people who didn't like him, right? Sure. Like the, that it was slanted because they didn't want the process to be something that was successful. Therefore, let's just marginalize him as this as this weird nerd. So I think that to play devil's advocate here, I think it's important when you're talking about people who quote unquote didn't want the process to work that you give the other side as much of the benefit of the doubt as you'd like them to give you, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about what Sam did and what Sam's plan was and his sort of, I think that the thing that a lot of people had a problem with was Sam Hinkie would not have brought in Devin Booker, Ersan Ilyasova, Marco Bellinelli to shore up this team. Right, like, which is what Brian Colangelo has done now to give us some, de- give the Sixers, give us, give the Sixers some depth. I, going, I like that you use an us. I know, going into the postseason, <laughs> he was he would right. have been playing. He'd be like, play TLC until right. the wheels come off. Right. Let's just see what happens because I'm not ever gonna, I'm not ever gonna compromise on what we want. What we want is a title winning team, not a, a seventh seed team that that shores up its spot in the playoffs. But the, the, the contrary to that is it feels pretty good to be in the playoffs. It feels pretty good to be competitive every night. And they saw a team this year that probably needed some bench help. They saw some guys who were still in way, way early in the development process. And they were like, let's go get some guys on the buyout market that can help this team right now. Yeah. So it's important when you're having this conversation about what he did or didn't think about the Sixers and how he was defined by his critics is to sometimes also see things from the critics' perspective. Yeah, and and you make a good point about this the Sixers this year and what they... I mean, last night I told you mm-hmm. I was ready to watch the Oscars, excited to watch the Oscars, and I'm like, let me check in on the Sixers. And the game ended up being really interesting, and so I was sort of flipping back and forth at a moment when I should have just been watching you know, a, a pop culture cultural event, yeah. right? And like they sucked me in again, and so it's been a really interesting fun season. And I think Sam would even cop to some of this. I mean, he he did cop to it at Sloan where he said, you know, it's silly to lionize me. It's silly to, you know, put me in either box. Like the people who uh, didn't like me or or do like me, I'm somewhere in the middle, right? Yes. And, and the decisions that I made are somewhere in the middle. And we spent some time talking about those decisions. And he, you know, he thinks about Giannis, you know, and, and because he that fits a lot of his theses, right? And he passed on him. Sure. And he knows that and a lot of teams did. And that's a way that his, um, the people who do like Sam will just sort of explain it away and go, well, you know, 13 other teams also passed on Giannis. But right. that's one that you would think, you know, like probably stuck with him a lot. And we watched those guys last night. And like, I was thinking to myself, my God, like, can you imagine if you had Embiid and Giannis on the same team? Right. It would be killer. Right. It's easy for us to sit here and we do podcasts. And I I think in the last seven days, I've said, like, maybe the Pelicans should trade Anthony Davis at the height of his value to save the franchise. And six months ago, I was probably saying Malik Monk should be the third pick. You know, I mean, we can say this stuff and it doesn't matter. Sam actually acted on those impulses and acted on impulses that maybe weren't always right, you know? Yeah. But when he traded Michael Carter-Williams, who's barely in the league right now, After a rookie of the year season, people were just like, how dare you? How dare you get people's hopes up and people get attached to him and bought his jersey. And now six years later, nobody even remembers that Michael Carter Williams was, he's a footnote to the team that we're watching now. So it's, it's really about like the long tail of history and looking back on these, these choices that he made, both good and bad with the perspective that we have now. And I think maybe that's why it's a, he felt more comfortable to talk because some of his decisions worked out. Some of them did. But either way, none of them are done. You know, none Embiid of them are is done. not it's done. still living. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's, still, it's a living, it's a living, breathing document. And it's this moment in Sixers dumb is really interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, not the least of which is what happens next, not just with Sam, yeah. but like with this team, right? Yeah. Because like you said, maybe 
a previous administration wouldn't have brought in Ursan and Marco Bellinelli and tried to like really shore them up for uh, this playoffs. But also, and I don't think that they're sacrificing anything by doing that. I, I don't mean, think they're so not either. on the hook for them financially right. that much. It's just like it's a, it's a, it's really an attitudinal thing. It's a it's a persona thing. Yeah, but but what they are and what they could be moving forward is interesting because so now all of a sudden people are talking about LeBron. I was shocked at Sloan. How many conversations I had with people who went, yeah, he's thinking about it. And I was, because before it just felt like Sixers fan fiction, right? Where it's like, yeah, maybe, right? Like, but he's not actually going to go to Philadelphia. And now it's like, maybe he could. And, and if it's not LeBron, you could definitely think about, you know, and this is something that we, we wrote about in the piece, some other star one day going, oh yeah, if, sure. if Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are playing and they're healthy, why wouldn't I think about going? They're young. They're super talented. Sure. The East is wide open. Like now, why, why wouldn't Paul George consider it? Now all of a sudden, it's a potential destination. That's crazy to me. Yes, it is going to be an adjustment for Sixers fans too, and it's also going to be a decision that those guys in charge of the team now, whether it's Brian or or the owners or and 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 even the players themselves, because as we know, player power is enormous, to decide whether or not what kind of help they need. And what kind of uh, assistance they need? Is it about the Jeff Teagues of the world, right. or is it about the Jimmy Butlers of the world? Is it about a guy who might come in and say, "Like, look, I'm the I'm the headlining act. Like, you guys, you guys are on my rider." Or is it, "Hey, it's just I see what you guys are doing here. I'm a I can I am the missing piece. I am the Paul George, and I think Paul George is actually the most attractive." sort of kind of player for the Sixers because we've got young stars who are still developing. Right. But he's the kind of person who on any given night could be the number one option, but is also does all the little things that you need somebody to do. So that's a really interesting point. Like when I was thinking... Because LeBron is a complete culture change. A total culture change. And it shifts like, it goes from, hey, this is something that we can do over the course of the next decade yes. to everything is right now. Pretty much like everybody who I've ever... If, you know, I, Justin and I had that piece last week where we were kind of like working through my feelings about about, right. about this idea of LeBron coming. And I have been convincingly told to shut up about that in terms of just like, if you have a chance to get LeBron James, like worry about it, it later. But but you make a good point. I have, I have but the last 10 years of experience of knowing like LeBron isn't like an additional player. No, LeBron the changes guy. the entire franchise. It changes the, uh, the scrutiny your team is under and it changes the expectations of the team. If LeBron comes to the six or six year, it's finals or bust. Yeah. And, and you know that they are going to make the moves necessary to compliment LeBron, not compliment Ben, not compliment Dario, not compliment TLC or Fultz or Embiid. It's for LeBron. And, and look, I want to be clear clear on this that would be pretty amazing if LeBron was like yep that's my situation because they're they're clearly my best chance to win and like you'd have one of the greatest players of all time paired with these two guys that we're seeing become rising stars that would be a phenomenal thing to watch however there is an element of it where you go it would just be it would it would be about LeBron because it's always about LeBron and there's a reason for that but there's an element to it it would be somewhat disappointing because this thing has always been like homegrown yeah right and organic yes, and like yes. and to see that continue in a way where you add a, a really good player like a Paul George, but it still is about what can't like everything, that entire movement and that change and that shift in Sixers thinking and what they were and what they could become. It would be a little, it, it would delete some of that. I wouldn't say this about any other player, but LeBron, 
And I'm not, and, and I'm not trying to bite the hand that feeds me. I just, I wouldn't, if Paul George was coming to the Sixers, I wouldn't be like, how is Paul George going to change the culture of the Sixers? Right. Like, what does this mean for Dario? I, I, I mean, like, I, I, I acknowledge that this is the kind of conversation people were having in 1995 where it was like, I don't want my favorite punk rock band assigned to a major label. There, there is something possessive. And you know yeah. what? Sixers fans are very possessive now. A little bit. This is what happened is that the people who stayed with the team through these years have now have a very deep sense of participation in this narrative. Maybe some of them are like, if you can get LeBron, you get LeBron. If you can go to the finals next season, you go to the finals next season. If, the, if you feel like you can beat Boston or Toronto next season with LeBron, Ben, and Joel, then you do it. But every action has a consequence. And bringing LeBron James into this team would change everything about it. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, you, you mentioned the maniacs, a bunch of them. Uh, I so, sound like a maniac right so now. You, I can't I, believe I'm just, I'm like, I'm like doing a purity test on LeBron James <laughs> coming to play for the Sixers. I'm out of my mind right now. You might be too close to it. You might need to step back. But some of our friends are uh, those maniacs, Spike and Mike from the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, and they had a bus slash fly the process. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what, that's what this whole thing, I mean, Getting back into the Sixers because they were doing something that made sense to us from an academic and intellectual standpoint had a lot to do with why everybody went to Milwaukee and screamed their heads off on the night of the Oscars and, you know, like took this big road trip, right? Because people are invested in the idea. And that's like the idea of getting LeBron is, of course, like on its face. You you do it, yeah. right? Because he's the greatest player ever. But also it's just like sort of, it feels almost like a cheat code. I mean, like, like you're are supercharging we not two years away, away from all losing our minds because Kevin went and signed with the the, the Warriors? Right. I mean, like this is not unique to Sixers fandom. And the idea of having some kind of concept of what you want your team to be and the team winning without following that concept being a mild disappointment is not unique to basketball either. The people in in soccer all the time are like, I want to win beautifully. This was like the, right. the entire genius of Pep Guardiola at Barcelona was that it wasn't just, they weren't just winning trophies. They were winning it in a way where you could put their games in modern art museums and appreciate them that way. I don't know that they'll ever get that way in basketball or in uh, that the Sixers will ever look that way. There's this some is, ownership involved. There, there's a there's a that Spursian idea of yeah. aesthetic quality while you're watching, and there and the idea that these are guys that you have been rooting for since they were figments of your imagination is is a significant thing in sports. I don't think you can deny that. If it's not LeBron, right? If LeBron goes somewhere else or stays in Cleveland. And they have to continue this, right? Which is something that we do want to see uh, in a vacuum. What is your faith level in uh, Brian's stewardship? Like, how do you feel about the way that... Um, I would say that I am probably 50-50 leaning less than 50-50. What is your reservation? Past like performance? I think, yeah, like there have been, there have been moments where Being he's seduced by the now instead of yeah, like making sure that we're okay. And this idea basically that... Um, you know, look, this is it, if we do not get a good free agent this offseason, which is entirely possible, I think that the Fultz pick will go from being like a haha, like that's really too bad that that happened to your number one draft pick. It's going to be a big deal. He's supposed to be the third part of this. It is a big deal. I mean, I'm watching those videos still. I keep telling myself like there was more yesterday. There was more before the game where he was dunking and he was, you know, jacking up. A, he he took a ball from Ben Simmons real yes. quick and just and jacked the one Lakers, up. And I was like, that looks good. As the Lakers chase this last Western Conference playoff spot, or at least are like not mm -hmm. going away, and that pick depreciates somewhat. Right. Look, like it's funny this year because we're used to our rookies not playing their first season, <laughs> if not yeah. their first two yeah. seasons. Yeah. It's not going to be that funny if next season, a couple of other teams kind of around us get better and we're forced to rely solely on Joel playing back-to-backs as like the thing that's the engine of us getting forward.
you know? And so I think that that's when Brian will be tested. Yeah. And I think that that's when he actually will be held more accountable for the false pick. I want to ask you something. Yes, please. There's a part of your piece where you start to kind of forensically go through the league and try to identify what's the, what's the landing spot for Sam if Sam wants to come back and run a team. And you kind of lay out your criteria where he basically needs a good partnership with ownership. Right. He needs, uh, it, it, you, you kind of go through it. We never explicitly say if you had any, any feelings, not from talking to Sam, but even like, do we have any candidates? No. What we talked about with what does Sam do next and where does he go from here? There was a line in there uh, that we used as a section breaker where he said, I don't know what the odds are on me never going back, but they're real. And like that really crystallized everything for me because we went through and we talked about it and we're like, okay, these are the things that I would need, right? right? And and you asked me while we were going through the editing process, what do you go back as an assistant? And I thought, nah, but let me ask him anyway. And he's like, no, I would. But the big thing for him is getting to pick his own people, right? Right? He said, well, if if I could be like, you know, an international scouting director and I could bring all my guys with me, like that is a big, big component. All right, for so him. let me ask you a couple. I'm going to throw a couple of hypotheticals all at right. you. All right, Vivek, here's the keys to the kingdom. This is this is just me thinking yes, about not, for not Sam. Sam. We're not with is, Sam I would talking. not have this conversation with him, and I definitely don't speak for him. I can't imagine because that ownership group is weird, right? I mean, like we've seen the way they make decisions. I'll the clear way- out everybody. You have you have these young players. If you it, can do what you want going forward. If it was complete autonomy, maybe be the ultimate pick swap. It would be the <laughs> ultimate pick swap. I, but again, like how they think about decision making uh-huh. and and rational decision making and where you get value from and the edge and all rational that rational does not I do not associate that exactly with I think that'd be the hiccup what's that <laughs> Stas- Stas- exactly yeah. right um, it'd be hard for me to imagine that one Dallas same right because Cuban is the show there mm-hmm. and what he thought what Sam thought he had with Josh Harris and David Blitzer and that ownership group was people who made decisions by thinking about value and finding an edge and being left alone to do that mm-hmm. And Mark Cuban doesn't feel like, I think academically, in a vacuum, they, they might have some similarities there, but in execution, the he's the short tank rather, guy. Uh, rather <laughs> yeah, stark. Yes. I mean, yeah. uh, as Sam said in the piece, he doesn't watch Shark Tank. Okay. Atlanta? I don't know enough about their ownership group. I don't know if they know enough about their ownership group yet. Fair enough. Because there's a lot, I think there's a little bit of turmoil Let me there. turn this on you. Do you have one in mind? I have the dream ones. Like what are the I dream have, ones? I'd love to see Sam Hinkie run the Knicks. <laughs> Dolan and Hinkie would be a hell of a match. Oh, I don't think it would ever happen. But right. I, I mean, I, I'm just a big believer that like basketball is better when when games at the Garden matter. Oh yeah, and, the uh, big the big market teams and Sam building around KP. You know, and yeah. and, and doing some stuff and having just the automatic like I'm the Knicks are on the phone I'm interested so then that means he's always looking for that advantage he talks about that in the piece I'm looking for the advantage I'm looking for the advantage the Knicks are on line one is an advantage still yeah uh, I just think like again it comes back to the ownership group and who you would work with and who you would work for and I just like I would that would be probably lower down on my on my hypothetical list we learned a lot about Sam Hinking your piece maybe he loves the blues maybe (laughs) maybe he does Uh, that would be great you mentioned this and it's something that we put into the piece. How upset would you be if this is it for him? Like if he never goes no, back. I wouldn't be upset. You Same thing, he seems like he's doing great. No, yeah. not, not upset for him, but like just from us as an entertainment standpoint, because like I think Sam is doing great and Sam will do great because he'll go and work with great people. And he has a fantastic life with great friends and family that matter deeply to him. He's going to be fine. I'm saying for us from an entertainment standpoint, I want a second act. I want to see it. I would like a second act. I cannot say that I wouldn't be bitter if he magically turned the Knicks or the Kings or the Mavericks into 
or the signs or somebody or, like that. You know right. what I mean? Like I, I would be annoyed at that. I would be annoyed that, okay, so I've got Brian Colangelo putting number one picks to work and <laughs> Sam Hinkie's out here. You know, it's not like uh, Sam never made any mistakes either in no, the draft. No, of course so not. I, no, I would, be, I would yeah. be interested to see him come back. I would be interested to see if he came back and tried to employ some of the ways in which Daryl Morey has been able to make the, the whole Dork Elvis analytics forward way of thinking a little bit more personable via public appearances and his Twitter feed. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see what, what happens there, but uh, we'll find out. All right, so uh, you have many things to do. You've got the watch. You have, is this a Sources Say Week? It's not a Sources Say Week. It is, it's a group chat. It's a group every chat week. week. We'll do a little Ringer FC this week. Champions League is back, so yeah. You have many things. You never leave the podcast studio. You I never don't. leave the Ringer. You never leave the lot. You have a cot. <laughs> That's right. He sleeps over. Uh, he's Chris Ryan. Chris, thanks. Thanks, man. All right, we're going to bring Kevin and Paolo in, but first, a word from Upstart. If you've ever applied for a personal loan at banks and credit unions, you know that it's an arduous process, but it's time to skip out on the traditional loan process and check out Upstart. Upstart knows you're more than just a credit score. That's why they take into account factors that the banks and credit unions just don't and won't, rewarding you for your job history and your education in the form of a smarter interest rate. Just go online and take two minutes to find out your Upstart rate. It's free and it won't affect your credit. Plus, once you're approved, your loan will be funded on the very next business day. Do you need to pay off your credit cards or your student loans? We'll join over 100,000 individuals who have taken out an upstart loan. Hurry to upstart.com slash NBA show to find out how low your interest rate is. Checking your rate is as easy as just taking two minutes and it won't affect your credit. That's upstart.com slash NBA show. Disclaimer, loans are offered by Cross River Bank, a New Jersey state chartered commercial bank. Restrictions apply. For details, visit upstart.com slash NBA show. All right, joining me in studio, uh, he's been on the show quite a few times. Kevin O'Connor is here, also Hello. here, never been on the show, first timer. You've heard him on group chat, Paolo Ugetti, Paolo Exco blog. What's How are up? things? How's it going? I'm, you did it. I'm honored to be here. You're I feel here. a little bit like I'm cheating on group chat, but I'm, you know, it's uh, the more the it's, merrier. It's very incestuous here at the ring. We're all <laughs> in it together. I have a long term relationship with Chris yes, Vernon. Right. And yes, I, I, mean, I feel like I'm really cheating. It's we're all. It's a one big weird group marriage. Uh, Kevin, you wrote a really fun piece today. I I was going to talk to you guys about a whole bunch of other things. And then per usual, Kevin O'Connor, he's constantly <laughs> writing words. And I went to the ringer, which pff, shouts to the ringer, my Great favorite site. site. Excellent site. And uh, you had a really fun piece, which was reconsidering NBA draft day debates. So I wanted to kind of work through that with you two. Let's take them in reverse order though. I want to take them in uh, order of uh, less interesting to most interesting. <laughs> so the, the first one then would be Stanley Johnson versus justice Winslow. Uh, Stanley was taken eighth. Justice Win Winslow was taken 10th in that draft. That was a big debate at the time. I was a Justice Winslow guy. And now I, I kind of shrug, like I'm kind of shrug emoji on both of them. I don't know, man. I think that's the most interesting one personally. And the reason right now, why, wow. the reason why is because Ingram and Simmons are obviously good, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Russell and Moody eight, blah, Winslow and Johnson. It's like, Hmm. What are well, they exactly? Well, that's yeah. what I said. The like, mystery. I like the mystery. That's a very Kevin O'Connor answer. Very on brand for you to pick the like the least interesting guys and make them the most interesting. Well, here's the thing with Justice Winslow. You know, in, within the article, spoiler alert: there's a quiz that puts Winslow against another guy, looking right. at their height, their weight, their wingspan, standing reach, and you know they're scoring in the half court. And Justice Winslow, maybe, maybe. A poor man's Draymond Green, if you've put him in the right situation, right circumstances, 
and he develops a quite a little bit more than he's already at now. But perhaps four years from now, maybe he's a buy low guy for the trade market or free agency next summer in 2019. I like Winslow a lot. He hasn't panned out so far, but I think Winslow is a guy who five years from now could be a really, really impactful player. I guess my question would be, you said if he's in the right circumstance, like he's with the Miami Heat, which are thought to be like the best, one of the best organizations. So is it just like the scheme that they were like, what, what well, is it that it, I'm, that's how I feel, which is why I'm like more leaning toward the Stanley Johnson side. Cause I, it feels like he's had the better situation. Winslow's had it and he, he has, hasn't been able to yes. thrive in it. So I'm, that's why, you know, for your buy low proposition, I'm more like Stanley Johnson with this. I'm, I'm committing a big sin here, but my question is, is, Draymond Green is an amazing player. Would he be as an amazing of a player if he weren't surrounded by two of the greatest shooters ever, surrounded like just a perfect situation in terms of opportunity provided? Let's just say Watch he would, yourself. <laughs> let's say let's say Draymond were drafted just by a different team and they were like, you know what? You're not a four. You're not a five who can make plays. You're a you're a three. So that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna make you into. Now, the Winslow, the Heat have used him in creative ways, right. but the point is is that Draymond Green is an unbelievable player, partially because of the circumstances he's been put in. And it's a testament to the Warriors for doing that and for Draymond for thriving within it. But the point is that (laughs) Winslow is the same age as Draymond when he was drafted. So the point is, is Draymond stunk as a rookie. At least in terms of the, the numbers. He wasn't Draymond. He wasn't Draymond right. Green. And circumstances, so Winslow can still become Justice Winslow. Circumstances <laughs> matter. There's no doubt about it. I basically sat here this entire time uh, doing the thinker face emoji <laughs> watching this because I you said I, I think like I, I apologize. Mea culpa. I said that this was the least interesting one and somehow you managed <laughs> to compare Justice Winslow and Draymond Green. Uh, the headphones blew off my head. I had to go pick them up while you were talking. Fascinating, Kevin O'Connor, because you, I, I, I was sort of with Paolo in that, like going into that draft, I expected, I, I was a Justice Winslow person. I was mm-hmm. surprised that Stanley Johnson went ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And I anticipated because the Heat are a good organization and because they're really good at player yeah. development, that he would thrive in that environment. And he has not. And so because circumstances matter, I wonder what a better circumstance might look like for Justice Winslow on a team where you know, he could have been utilized and he could have grown. I don't know. So right now, if you were placing a bet on these two guys, your your team justice over team I, Stanley I put, Johnson. I put everything on Winslow over and Johnson. And you still think he it, could it, become it, this? Like, not, I mean, not well, in okay. a vacuum. You Like, what, what percentage chance would you ascribe to him actually become? Forgot about Draymond it's Green. It's very low. Good. It's very, it's, oh, I think, Just a good I think, NBA I think he's already a, a good defender. I think he's already very good as a defender. Yes. I think he's a good ball handler already. I think he makes, makes plays for teammates. The problem is that he can't finish at the rim and his shot is still too inconsistent even though the numbers are good. So will those areas ever improve? I don't know. Draymond's still an inconsistent shooter and nobody's complaining about it. Draymond still turns the ball over sometimes at a frequent rate, uh, gets a little wild with it. But Justice Winslow, what he needs to do is to become a a great at-rim finisher. Will he do that? I don't know. That was a problem for him in college, high school, and still is today in the NBA. That might never change. But Winslow, I think, is already a pretty impactful player and he does it consistently. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree because you've seen, we've seen flashes of how good he can be defensively and like you said like he was like the talk of that draft in terms mm-hmm. of like steals you know yeah. what I'm saying and like the, the Celtics wanted to trade for him the whor- you know it was like throwing picks out there and like six draft picks or whatever right good decision by Michael Jordan the greatest player of all time yeah but like I don't know I just I, I still feel like we see so many times guys go from bad situation and get it get a different shot at a different situation and then they end up thriving in there. And I think that's like a classic 
Stanley Johnson situation right well he's with the Pistons they're kind of all over the place so I just I would like to see him in a better place and then have this kind of comparison because I think Justice should stay in Miami like you would have liked to seen like there was rumors that Utah had interest in Stanley Johnson with Quinn Snyder yeah Yeah, exactly type of offense where he's playing with Rudy Gobert Mm -hmm. then you might see Stanley Johnson finally be consistent on the defensive end of the floor instead of just prancing around you you know what you brought me back in KOC Stanley Johnson and Justice Winslow was the most interesting one (laughs) All right. so the next one that you had was D'Angelo Russell and Emmanuel Mutier. Mm. I liked D'Angelo Russell coming mm. into the Me draft. Too. I was Same. less bullish on Emmanuel Mutier. That's sort of panned out. I, mm. I wonder how much circumstance played into that. Although he did have some good run with the Nuggets to start, and then you know they just soured on him. I think D'Angelo Russell can still be a quality player. I, I'm not sure about Emmanuel Mutier. I am still with. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Russell. I was in on him, but not like superstar status on him when he came out, but. I think I've seen enough from him on the scoring output where even if he doesn't become a great defender, like there's enough there where, you know, for a team like the Nets where he's at right now, like it just, it fits perfectly. He can develop like it's yes. just, I'm, I'm still all in on and, Russell. And this is that to go back to the circumstance point, mm-hmm. the Lakers were probably the worst possible place for him to land. And it seemed like at, at a time <laughs> yes. at the, initially mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this will be good. You know, they're yeah. transitioning away from Kobe. He can be the new guy. And it turned out having that one year with Kobe was horrible for him he like Kobe and he did not get along uh it was the Kobe farewell tour and D'Angelo Russell was marginalized and then when it became D'Angelo Russell's time I think that he overcompensated and went I'm the man now I'm gonna be the man and you should treat me like the man when he hadn't done anything yet and all of a sudden people soured on him both internally and externally both on the court and (laughs) off and he had to be shipped across the country (laughs) to start over again now talent wise I like him quite a bit but I think like that was a a really humbling moment for him. For sure. I, I think that that rookie season for D'Angelo Russell, back in for when I was first hired, I wrote an article about his numbers when Kobe was on the floor versus when, when Kobe was off the floor. And Russell was pretty damn good as a rookie when Kobe wasn't playing. The thing is, you know, he's, he didn't follow it up his sophomore season, as mm-hmm. he said. And now he's in a situation, you know, we just talked about with like Stanley Johnson, where he has a really, really good coach in Kenny Atkinson with the Nets. And I think he's gotten better this season before the injury happened, before he had knee surgery, but he still has his kind of just infuriating flaw with just some of the decisions he makes on the floor. He's Mm -hmm. such a good passer. His vision's really good, but then he makes these silly mistakes that you just wonder if he's ever going to put that all together. And if he doesn't, he's just kind of going to be a good player, but I think he has the potential to be great. It's just some of the flaws are just hard to get over. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think you see, and he's been injured a little bit, so it's kind of been hard to give get a sense for him this season. But I think going back to your point where the situation in terms of like, even off the court, as we know very well, huh. did not go well for D'Angelo. Not at all. It, yeah, it seems <laughs> LA, like, bad yeah, idea. just keep him, keep him away from Snapchat. <laughs> just do, do not let him have a phone, maybe. Well, luckily, <laughs> nobody can get in trouble in New York City. It's there you go. Yeah, I'm sure. Completely different. But I think the KFC's points, like, he went to literally the perfect situation in terms of like it would be more egalitarian like Sean Marks and what the Nets are building is more like you know just bring in role players and just have them you know go at it and I think in that sense it may have helped temper down that you know that attitude if you will if they came over yeah I think it changed it changed things for him I was just saying also what's the deal with D'Angelo Russell just jacking up like half his shots come from mid-range and then (laughs) the 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 Nets the Nets 
take the second most frequency of threes in the league. So they they want at-rim shots. They want threes. They want to play that style. And yet D'Angelo Russell is the one odd duck in their rotation, just taking all mid-range jumpers. He settles so often. It's just, it's so annoying because he can mm-hmm. be way better than he is. I like that you just went Seinfeld observational basketball <laughs> comedy there where you're like, what's the deal with that guy? <laughs> I think it's excellent. That's why we bring you on for the yucks. Uh, real quick about Emmanuel Moody. I, I mean, if he does work out, it's not going to be with the Knicks. This is a, like a timeout mm. for him. Chance that he sticks in the league and he's still around five years from now. Uh, he's closer to being back in China than he is being an yeah, all-star. I think so, Joe. All right, last one on your piece on reconsidering. All of a sudden, I'm like, that's enough Emmanuel Mutier talk. <laughs> I, I mentioned his name, and we immediately transitioned. Pretty much how the... How, Danny Chow will not be uh, happy with us. That's pretty much how the Nuggets felt about him. Hold um, on, Danny Chow's The last favorite. one, which I do think is interesting, is Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram taking one-two in that draft. You have some interesting <laughs> thoughts always on my boy Ben Simmons. You have some interesting thoughts on Brandon Ingram. I like Brandon Ingram quite a mm-hmm. bit. I think he's coming along and and we're going to get into Lonzo in just a, a second. If I were going to pick one guy on that team that I think has that star potential, I'd go Ingram over Lonzo, mm-hmm. but you're not so sure about this these two. Okay, so there's a I sent out a tweet last week that mm-hmm. said, "Oh, it's slow and a couple of NBA executives said to yeah. me they would still How'd that take, go over." Six <laughs> fans, I'm still banned from the, the Ricky Sanchez podcast, um, which is fine with me. You can ban me from the city of Philadelphia for, for if you want this, to. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, easy, uh, easy. This is it's the city of champions. Yeah. We, you know, like I've gone a long way towards uh, trying um, to like help you on the PR front. Hey, there, hey, I've always been a hinky truther. There you go. <laughs> always supported Joel Embiid, but people, hey, did, people did. Stick Tell you that like they they would have still taken Ingram over Simmons, yes. which I think is aggressive. Is it really though? I am kind of with the Ingram crowd really? in this sense. Right. We're gonna yes. have to cut both of your mics. So Ben Simmons, what we've seen is is a virtuoso in every way except for one, and that one mm-hmm. is a big way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big thing. There's yes. no doubt about it. And the hand thing is something that they're gonna probably have to address in the offseason, which what he shoots with. He, he he's almost predominantly <laughs> a right hand in the paint layup over eighty percent of his like shots it's, it's come off his right hand except for jumpers. And everything is in the paint and it's and it's crazy. But he's been so good. And I and I think about, and it's not completely analogous, but I think about Giannis when he came into the league and couldn't shoot either. And he still can't shoot the three. Better shooter he, than Ben, though. Of course, yes. And I'm mm-hmm. stipulating that point. What I'm saying is he's a monster and he worked on his game and he's getting better with his shot and he still can't shoot the three and it's something he still has to incorporate. But he's Giannis. Mm-hmm. And we've seen how, how everything else he does uh, impacts the game, right? Ben Simmons, not a great defender in college. All of a sudden, a really good yeah. defender. I mean, he had a play last mm-hmm. night while everybody else was watching the Oscars where he, where he took a charge and it was like, was, wow. That was a play Doris Burke pointed yes, out. Yeah, it was really good. Fantastic yeah. defender, yeah. great passer, excellent rebounder, runs the floor. He has to work on that one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think he's considerably better in all those other areas than Ingram is right now. I love watching Simmons. Like it's he's become one of the most fun players to watch, even in his rookie season. Like he's been so good. I'm all on the Sixers, you know, making the playoffs and seeing him beat and all that. That's where I'm kind of holding out is in that playoff scenario because I think that that's where I'm curious to see how the sh- the lack of a shot yeah. gets exposed. After, if, if he thrives in the playoffs or at least shows that he can still play his style in the playoff system, then I'm going to probably, you know, lean more toward his side. But right now, I think Ingram brings the quality scoring 
and the athleticism that I think would translate well to a playoff scenario. Granted, the Lakers are not going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think that's one of the caveats you got to throw in there. I'm just pal. saying that, that's why it's kind of like <laughs> I'm leaning Ingram, but it is TBD to see how Simmons does in the playoffs. That's what I'm saying. Well, I think that's what you have to weigh. And, you know, this is kind of a discussion some NBA people have. How much do you weigh playoff production versus right. regular season production? And Simmons is obviously a brilliant player. He's going to be a brilliant player for the next 10 plus years. Doesn't matter if he can shoot or not. The question is, with the goal being championships or just at least one championship, does he need to be an, at least an average shooter? Yeah, he does need to at least be an average shooter. Right now, he's just a completely negative shooter who shoots with the wrong hand. And the question is, is what does he... How does he what, change it? How does what, it? what is his impact in the playoffs if he doesn't get better shooting the ball? Well, and, he, and he could get a lot better. Ingram's going to get better. Simmons could get better as well at shooting the ball. I would like to mm-hmm. point out that this is his first year. Like, let's all yes, pump the brakes true. for just a, a quick second. And remember, uh, as somebody who has covered the Sixers for a long time <laughs> and also likes to watch Sixers basketball, that we have now raised the bar from, oh, man, you know, like tanking <laughs> and all this other bullshit to they're, not only are they going to be in the playoffs, but now we're we're now we're looking at them through the prism of they better be damn good. Otherwise, like we're going to uh, like think about Simmons differently. I like that. I like that the narrative has changed to. We're expecting great things from these two kids, Mm -hmm. and I think it's fantastic for Ben Simmons, and the shooting thing is still going to be a question, but look at how far you've come, you know? It's really really interesting. I do wonder how much each franchise values each player, and what I mean is, say, you know, we were talking a lot about LeBron and with these two teams, with the Sixers and the Lakers, like if they had to give those players up to get LeBron, who who would do it? So I want to I want to use that as a pivot point, because what, when you talk about how much uh, those two franchises value the, those players, I want to focus specifically on the Lakers. And when I had mentioned that for me, I, I still it's still Ingram greater than Symbol Lonzo. KOC, mm-hmm. you are very much on the Lonzo uh, hype train. You like him you, and you put in our slack. Lonzo is good. Sorry, I. Isaac, uh, which made Isaac's eyeball twitch. He was very upset about it, but you had said KOC that he's an elite playmaker, a great rebounder for a point guard, significant progress scoring. I'm less bullish on his defense than you are, but I want to know where do we feel Ingram and Lonzo and how do we think the organization values two cornerstones, both of them. That's what I think. So if they're not getting a LeBron, you're cool with going building around those two guys. I think, I think whether you're the Sixers or the Lakers, you're, you can, you can win for a long time without LeBron. Lonzo is the type of guy who just simply makes guys better. I think Brandon Ingram is a versatile guy who proved over the last month. You mentioned how in- uh, Simmons is considerably better as a de- as a defender, passer, and all that, which mm-hmm. is true. Yeah. But Ingram is a damn good passer too. Yes, he, is. he can he run very point. Yeah, he so you have multiple ball handlers. With he the did run point when Lonzo nice. was out. Bingo! It was interesting, and he was really good. Yes, at he was it good too. at it. He was at his best. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you're if you're going to keep both of them, then then if that's your plan, you're not getting LeBron. But if if it comes to the situation where if you need to get LeBron, you're going to need to let you to, don't need to, to let either of them go. You, you don't need to, but you, you wouldn't let either. Yeah, of them no, you uh, wouldn't. Obviously, those two are your guys, but I'm still team Ingram over team Lonzo. Uh, I just, uh, I just, if, if you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, if if I'm pick. Between, yeah, I'm um, definitely team. Ingram. Like, I just you love Lonzo. He, I, I, you got a little heart in your eyeballs I right now. That, but Ingram, <laughs> I love both of them. Ingram, I had Ingram ranked number one. Seven oh cop out. Pick one. What do you got to pick? We both picked Ingram. Why do I have to pick? This is because you have to make decisions. He check bylaws that you must. You must declare one or the other. It's in the... Look, I don't make the rules. Isaac makes the rules. Uh, Yeah. You'll have to take it up with Isaac. Isaac. Um, (laughs) While we're talking about Lonzo... I'm going to keep Lonzo just to spite 
Isaac. I like there that. See, that's a perfect answer. That's a perfect answer. While we're talking about Lonzo, what do you guys make of uh, Isaiah Thomas's continued heel turn? I personally love Darth Isaiah, mm-hmm. uh, and he was saying, you know, like all you need is one team to love you, and I feel bad for him, and I hope one team does end up loving him. But he mentioned Lonzo's. Sh- he was asked about Lonzo's yeah. shot, and I have to read this quote because <laughs> I was funny. like, Isaiah, you're saying the loud part or the quiet part loud again. Uh, he said, "It's ugly as hell. It's an ugly shot, but he's been successful with it his whole life. So you get to the highest level. There's no need to change it. Um, I mean, it is ugly as hell. I love that he said it out loud. And he did change it, by the way. He changed the shot, jumped going to his right. Yeah, like, to his I, left, it still it, looks like it's still like brutal. But to the right, it's it's different. Uh, what do you what do you make of Isaiah I, saying all this on the record? <laughs> First of all, I gotta say I did not see." Isaiah being the number one quote giver this season, he's by <laughs> far and away has taken the prize. <laughs> we need a quote index ranking. Exactly. And, mm. and second, he's like testament <laughs> to the fact of how much context matters because on the Cavaliers, he's saying this stuff. It's like, what are you doing? You know, you're about to ship you out of town. Like, you know, it, it just looks bad on the Lakers, a team that's kind of got nothing to lose. It's kind of funny. And like, you kind of just laugh at it and like, let it go by, you know, and it's, and it's more entertainment than criticizing, which is what he was doing in, in Cleveland. So, I mean, I'm all for him. Just I, like, what else do the Lakers have to compel us with than Isaiah Thomas quotes? Yeah. So the Lakers have been playing better. They're probably still not going to make the playoffs. They're uh, what? Six and a half games out of that last spot. Uh, but the back end of the Western Conference playoff picture, gang, real quick before I let you go, very, very interesting. The Spurs have not been playing well. The Thunder being the Thunder. The Nuggets are uh, right now, as we record this, are the last spot. They're half game up on the Clippers uh, and two games up on the Jazz. Handicap it. Who do you like to make it? Who's not going to make it? Um, Who do you want to make it? Here's the thing. I think it's just crazy to think about the fact that I look at five through eight, mm-hmm. even five through nine. Those are all teams that I think should get in and all of them have a shot of missing out. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like and then the the Blazers and the Pelicans who I thought had more questions, I had more questions about them going into the season. They're, you know, kind of more safely at Blazers top, are on know, a heater. Yeah. So that's that's first of all just hard to comprehend at this yes. point, but I think there is no way that the Thunder can miss the playoffs just cuz they just have so much talent, but if they do, that would be absolutely disaster. I'm right now I'm saying the Thunder stay in. I still for some reason think that the Clippers are gonna get in. There's something about them. They're, I love this. You're paying not, not to appease the to the ice crowd. over there, but um I, I just there's something about them that I feel like their self-awareness of what kind of team they are allows them to thrive <laughs> a little more. And this is something Doc has talked about. Like he says, like we know who we are, we're not gonna try to be more than what we I'm know, glad that they know who they are because nobody else does. I guess that's kind of their identity, right? They're just kind of like on a given night, anybody can be our guy. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that they're going to squeeze in. Which that would be the least interesting scenario to me. If that happens, I would be disappointed. And I, and I hate to say this with Isaac, do the year thing. thing. Um, they're the least interesting team of the group of Nuggets, Jazz, Clippers, Thunder. Like I want yeah. any team but the Clippers just because the narrative is not interesting to me. Guns, I might need to cut your mic. I know. All of a sudden you're doing my bit. Uh, KOC, who do you want to see get in? Well, let me just say this. We're going to find out a lot about the Spurs the next week. Mm. They have a game on Thursday against Golden State, Saturday against Oklahoma City, and then Monday versus Houston. They have two games remaining against all three of those teams the rest of the season, including two against the Pelicans, two against the Wizards. They have a really, really hard schedule the rest of the season, and I would like to see the Spurs make it. I hope they make it. Because if they do make it, they're gonna they're gonna have to go on a good run because their schedule is just really really tough this next month and a half. So if they do make it, it's gonna be a damn good story because they're gonna win a lot of big games to get there. I didn't even consider 
that they might not make it until last night when I was watching the Bucks and the Sixers. And at halftime, Beatle was having this conversation where she was like, mm, should we actually talk about this? And I'm like, holy yes, shit, we maybe should we should. Yes, we should. Very we should, interesting. We should talk about it. Well, we you know what? Good, good news, gang. If you like basketball, it, we, talk about we talk about a lot of basketball here <laughs> at The Ringer tomorrow. You're going to get Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon, as you do every Tuesday on alternate Wednesdays. We've got sources say we've got the great group chat with Paolo Ogetti and Chris Ryan and Justin Barrier and Haley O'Shaughnessy on Thursday. And then of course, Kevin O'Connor back again. How many podcasts do you do now? Like 12? You like the new Juliet Lippman. Yeah. We've got draft <laughs> class on Friday with Charks and Danny Chow and KOC. So make sure you guys tune into all the Ringer content on the Ringer Podcast Network. Plus all the basketball you can handle on the ringer.com. We have KOC's piece. Paolo is constantly writing. I wrote a story about Sam Hickey. So check all that stuff out. I want to thank Joe House, Chris Ryan, KOC, and Paolo. And of course, Isaac Lee on the ones and twos. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Heat Check Podcast. We'll be back next week. Bye.